The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Discover the power within. Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. Fascinating interviews and compelling conversations. Be present. The Diane Ray Show. Welcome. Thank you so much for joining me for the show today. I'm Diane Ray, and we're going to have a great conversation today about your health. Now, if you've been quarantining, you know, or trying to lay low, like a lot of us for the past few months, and then you try on your jeans, you know, for the first time in six months. I mean, if you're like me, you've been wearing mostly yoga pants, you know, stretchy material kind of things. Well, when you try on your jeans for the first time in six months, you realize you might have put on a few pounds. You know, they're calling this the quarantine 15. So if you're in that category, or you just want to feel better, you have low energy, energy, you're just not feeling it, today's show is going to be for you. We're going to find out how to increase our energy, lose weight, and live longer, healthier lives. Dr. Joel Furman is my guest today, and he is the author of the New York Times bestselling book, Eat to Live, which was first published back in 2003, and this introduced people to his revolutionary nutritarian lifestyle, and millions of people have gotten their health back by following this plan. So if you're interested in this, you can find a wealth of information on his website, drfurman.com. Well, since writing Eat to Live, he has written 10 other books on health and nutrition, including his latest book, Eat for Life, that we're going to be talking about today. And Dr. Furman says this is his most compre- comprehensive book to date. No dietary program has more scientific support regarding its principles and foods that slow aging, prevent disease, and prolong lifespan than this one. So I'm excited to get into it. And Dr. Furman joins me today to talk about this. So thanks so much for being on the show and sharing this important information with us here at UnityOnlineRadio.org. Thank you. Great to be here and look so looking forward to our talk today. Yeah, I'm so glad. I don't know if you were aware that the founders of Unity, of the Unity movement, Charles and Myrtle Fillmore, were really big vegetarians. And this was back in the 1800s in Missouri, where I'm sure they were, they were eating a lot of meat. You know, it was kind of a crazy idea way back then. But even they saw the importance of a plant-based diet back then. And you're bringing this all to the forefront here again uh, with your book. So I've been spending a lot of time with this the past couple of days. And, and I've been really excited to re-energize my my lifestyle, you know, my lack of healthy eating, it's been so easy to fall into bad habits over these past few months. So it's been great to spend some time with the book. So just to kind of start things off, I would love for you to explain to the listeners what a nutritarian diet is, because you coined that phrase and you mention it, you know, throughout the book that this is really a nutritarian lifestyle. So maybe you could tell us what that is. Sure. I'm just using that word because there's no other word that represents a diet that's designed to maximize human longevity and prevent heart attacks and strokes and cancers and dementia. And what I'm saying is that modern nutritional science has evolved over the last few decades 
to give us an unprecedented opportunity in human history to use the scientific evidence to say, wow, these diseases are shown not to be predominantly genetic or the consequence of aging. They're the result of what we eat. And if we put foods that are nutrient rich that contain the full spectrum and variety of nutrients into our body, the body's immune system doesn't have to get cancer and doesn't have to have heart disease and get blockages and get to lose brain cells. So we're, we're saying here that the body is a miraculous self-healing machine and more resistant and resilient than we ever thought. And food is the answer. But if you don't eat the green vegetables and the mushrooms and the berries and the seeds and the scallions, if you don't eat these foods that are designed and seem that the human immune system requires for optimal function, then you're not going to glean these benefits that are possible from that, that, that food that the right food makes possible. So a nutritarian diet, think of the word as to being super healthy diet that's rich in not only the a high amount of micronutrients, vitamins, minerals, and phytochemicals, but also the, the wide array of all the different chemicals and nutrients humans need that can maximize their health. So we idealize the dietary portfolio. We look at what nutrients might not be optimized in that dietary portfolio so we can supplement those conservatively and overall develop a program that maximally can protect ourselves. I really love that you're putting the power of having great health and not having to be a slave to our genetic background. A lot of people think that, oh, just because my mother had cancer, my father had Alzheimer's, you know, this, this runs in my family. I'm predisposed to having to deal with those illnesses. And you're saying that that's not the case. We really have more power than we think we do. And our bodies have this amazing regenerative quality and that we really are able to heal, which is why I'm so glad that you're able to come on here. And it's so important that people really get this information. You know, we've heard that old adage for years, you are what you eat. And this really brings it to light. And you explain how a lot of us have grown up with the standard American diet, SAD, and that this diet is really killing us. And can you explain a little bit more about how some of us may not even be aware of you know, how dangerous the diet that we have is eating, that we're eating right now, how dangerous that is. Yeah, you know, and especially, you know, we're always saying that, you know, over the age of 70, if you make it that far, then about 70% of those deaths are cardiovascular deaths. And having a heart attack or a stroke even is so crazy in today's world. We have so much science to show that that doesn't have to happen. And there are populations around the world Isolated populations will never have any history of heart attacks or even or even high blood pressure in the population or historical in the ancestors of that population. It's only with the modern exposure to modern food and salted food and, you know, and commercial animal products that we see that, you know, these diseases erupt. And even with regard to breast cancer, for example, there are populations around the world that have one fiftieth the amount of breast cancer incidence, even in, even as, as late as twenty years ago. When, and then when those when those populations or then those people moved to the United States, they and their ancestors and their their um, offspring start to glean the same rate of breast cancer as other people living in our country. And clearly, we're eating ourselves to an explosion in autism, depression, mental illness, and cancer. And today we have 
much of the modern world dying of a simple viral infection due to nutrition, due to how you can say ubiquitous nutritional deficiencies and gross negligence with regard to what people put into their body. I mean, clearly, when you eat um, high glycemic carbohydrates and processed foods, you're not just not taking in nutrients, you're actually damaging your immune system, stripping your body of nutrients, building up acrylamides or, and throwing off your hormonal system. And you're shortening your lifespan with every snort of cocaine and every cigarette you smoke and every piece of pizza and burger and bacon and, you know, and cheeseburger and donut, everything you eat, you pay a price for. You don't get a free ride. You, you are exactly what you eat. And that's why I'm so passionate about making sure people make the correction now, because obviously we can stop these COVID deaths with excellent immune function, but also because, but, but also obviously people are going to feel happier well all the time and be able to obviously enjoy their life more being physically active and mentally agile and be more creative and feel and and if the brain's working better only when they put the right food into their body right and when you look at the history it's so it's so interesting you know back when people were growing their own food and producing their own food you know the the level of instances of these illnesses weren't as high as they are now and then as things got more industrialized like you know over the 50s and 60s they were trying to make it easy for mom you know and then you had all these processed foods and when you go to the grocery store now and you look down the frozen food section and you see all these things that kind of trick people into thinking that it's healthy you know healthy choice and uh, you know eat this and you'll lose weight and really it's just a box of, of chemicals right and people are being fooled into thinking that that's a healthy way to eat and we're really killing ourselves. I know it's it's and it means the amount of plastic material and other chemical substances that even in small amounts ingested have a negative effect on health. Even you know there's so much that such high levels of you know arsenics and cadmium and and PCBs and microplastics in people's bodies today from eating all the processed foods and garbage they eat. They don't even realize it. But of course, what we were saying earlier is that, the, that we've learned about the mechanisms in the cell that can suppress genetic alterations that lead to cancer. That the GSTP1 gene, the BRCA gene, where people say, oh, I'm at higher risk of breast cancer or ovarian cancer, those cancers didn't, do not occur in populations that have those, those gene defects if they're eating sufficient green vegetables because the body, of course, the immune system, I'm saying, has the ability to control expression of genes and can read the DNA and see where there's a defect and cover that up. But that only occurs when you take in sufficient amounts of green vegetables in your diet. If you don't, then you're going to suffer. Right. And so really we have the ability to say turn on or turn off that switch that will cause the gene to express the disease in that way. Like say if I had the, the BRCA1 gene, I could carry that. I could have that my whole life and that doesn't necessarily mean I'm, I'm going to get breast cancer. That's exactly right. And the ARE is the antioxidant response element in the cell, the segment of the DNA that has that role to turn off abnormal genes and to remove toxins and to repair DNA crosslinks, breakages and remove methylation defects. What I'm saying right now is the body has a whole series of various mechanisms. We it can repair damage even that occurred earlier in life from eating the wrong diet. If you do the right things and activate these defenses, the body can even fix damage that if left untouched would continue to accumulate and result in cancer or further damage. 
There's a lot of popular diets out there. I mean, I've read so many diet books and lifestyle plans. You know, there's a couple of popular ones that I wanted to ask you about just to get your opinion on these. You know, people are doing things like the keto diet and eating paleo. And I never really knew the exact difference between those two. But do you think those are are unhealthy ways to go? So yeah, what I'm what I'm saying is that we have a lot of evidence today, so we know how to give a study more credence and other studies less credence. And we know that we that we can generate a hypothesis. And then that a hypothesis may even have a short-term study that demonstrates certain degree of efficacy. For example, with a with a it's called a soft endpoint. A soft endpoint means that your blood pressure dropped, or your glucose looks better, or you lost some weight, or you feel better. So those are soft endpoints. But we don't know if that translates necessarily translates into a longer lifespan. I mean, I could give you a cholesterol-lowering drug that lowers your cholesterol, but I'd have to follow a large number of people for many decades looking at deaths or heart attack rate to see whether it really works. Not because we don't know if lowering the cholesterol with a poison would might increase rate of certain cancers. We don't know. So what I'm saying is right, right now we have evidence from long-term studies that have larger numbers of people that look at hard endpoints that are studied for decades. And if those long-term studies looking at hard endpoints like death corroborate the short-term studies looking at soft endpoints, then we've got some meat here to justify you know, that what, was do, what we're advising people is correct or admirable. And today we have these studies, and these studies show, the long-term studies and the short-term studies show that as animal protein increases in percent of total calories in the diet, so does cardiovascular death and cancer death, and it, it shortens lifespan, all-cause mortality, it's called. So the, the paleo and keto diets that are generally high in animal products because they were, they're trying to avoid carbohydrates that raise glucose have been well-documented today with increased risk of all-cause mortality. And I could say using my words very carefully, using the word all, and I'm using the all carefully in a scientific sense. So we look at all the studies looking at heart endpoints, age of death, or actually cause mortality. We find that more plant produce in the diet, and particularly more plant protein. That means increases longevity and decreases cardiovascular and cancer death. That means you're getting more of your protein from nuts, from seeds, from artichokes, from broccoli, from quinoa, from soybeans, from pine nuts. From, in other words, eating foods, these um, protein-rich plant foods, or a paleo diet was a fun hypothesis. It was think to think, more like our ancestors eat, but really our ancestors never ate that way, and whether they did or they didn't eat that way isn't even relevant, because today we have too much evidence to show that when we raise animal products that high, and when we reduce plants that low, we're placing ourselves at very high risk. Right. I mean, it never made sense to me to see people that, you know, were eating vast amounts of meat and bacon and all this stuff and, and saying that they may have been losing weight, but I just couldn't see where that was going to be a healthy choice. It just didn't, didn't seem to make any sense. And like you said, the research backs that up, that that's not true. And another one I wanted to ask you about that that's pretty popular is intermittent fasting. And on your website, you're offering an online course that starts November 9th that dives into intermittent fasting and how this can be beneficial. And can you tell me a little bit about that, how that works? Yes. Um, first of all, let, let me just say that um, one of the foundational principles of a nutritarian diet, that, that means that the most proven methodology to slow aging and extend lifespan 
is moderate caloric restriction in the context of micronutrient excellence. That means we have to eat foods with a high micronutrient content, a high micronutrient bang per caloric buck. We got to get the nutrients and eat foods that have the, that money in them. You know what I mean? And so right. we're trying to eat definitely eat more green vegetables, eat more berries and seeds and mushrooms and onions and all these foods that are so rich in nutrients that are naturally low in calories. But we also have tremendous amount of evidence. And by the way, when you eat a high level of those foods, it naturally suppresses your appetite because they're so filling and, and take so much bulk and fiber. And you can eat a large amount of them. So we're eating a lot of good volume of low-calorie fare, which we made to taste great. And, then the, and so people lose weight and gravitate towards an ideal weight and can stay there. But then the, then the, the other scientific evidence that's come out of the literature over the last decade that's been overwhelmingly positive, or you could say overwhelmingly negative, is that when you eat a big meal before bedtime, even if it's healthy, you're digesting food during the night, that is effect to shortening lifespan and even increasing risk of cancer. Eat like, for example, in the WHEEL study, the Women's Healthy Eating and Living study, they showed that women who had greater, greater than a 13-hour window between the end of dinner and the start of breakfast had a 36% lower risk of developing breast cancer over that 10-year period compared to women who ate a later dinner. And, you know, so we're, and, then, and then not only are we seeing that having a bigger window between the end of dinner and the start of breakfast beneficial, but we're also seeing that it's more beneficial to eat an earlier dinner to get your window than it would be to eat a later breakfast and a later dinner. So instead of like, don't skip breakfast and eat, don't just eat lunch, that's not going to give you the benefits. We have an increased metabolic burn early in the day. And when we sleep with a full stomach or when we sleep when we're digesting food, we're not getting the full benefit of sleep and the anti-aging processes that go on during sleep. So what I'm saying right now with this concept of intermittent fasting, so people are left with the most important take-home message. The most important take-home message that's so effective here is that finished eating dinner by 6 o'clock, let's say, and then, then cl cl close down the restaurant, clean the kitchen, go water pick and clean your teeth, shut everything down and do other things between 6 o'clock when you go to bed at 9 or 10 o'clock at night or whatever time you go to bed. So give yourself that three or four hours after you eat where well, you're not eating anything before bed, maybe sipping some water or something, and then go to sleep if possible on an empty stomach. That's the key to longevity, and it's also a major key to weight loss and sustaining an excellent body weight with a low body fat percent because obviously your body is burning less. When you eat things at night, they're more likely to convert into fat and when your body's not as metabolically active. So would you say the, the best beneficial window would be uh, 15 hours, you know, over 13 hours between eating, you know, at night, so kind of do the cutoff 6, 6.30, and then you know, have like a 15 hour fast between that. I am saying that and I am agreeing with that. But I'm also saying, I think that having a, you know, a four hour window between the end of dinner and bedtime is what you're shooting for. Because a lot of people could increase the 15 hour window just by eating a later dinner and, an early, and a later breakfast. And I wanted to make sure they have the four hour window before dinner, before they go to bed where they don't eat any food four hours before they go to sleep at night. Right. That makes so much sense. I mean, I would rather do that anyway. I mean, I think you, you sleep so much better. At least that, that's my experience. And I always I tell my husband I do the toothbrush thing. I'm like, look, if 
I've brushed my teeth. Don't try to tempt me with any kind of sugar or cookies or, or stuff like that. And people seem to fall into that trap where they'll want something sweet at, at the end of the day or at night, you know, before you go to bed. And that's one of the worst things you could do, isn't it? Yes. And I want them to have the dessert or something sweet, but I want them to have it to mark the end of eating for the day. They could take some frozen cherries out of the out of the freezer and partially defrost them. So delicious to eat, to close the dinner down or to have, you know, a slice of mango or something like that, or a frozen banana whipped up with a, you know, with a, a half a frozen banana with some real vanilla bean powder and a couple of walnuts in the blender, the little healthy vanilla ice cream. It's okay to have that fruit or that ending healthy dessert, but, but know that that's the last thing you're eating for the day. It's done at six o'clock at night. And now you're going to clean your teeth and shut down the kitchen and not go back. Right. Shut the door. <laughs> and that's it. That it's, it's so common sense, it seems like to me too. just, you know, kind of shut that down. So we're going to take a, a break in a, a few minutes and then talk more about actually what are we eating on this diet and how it works. But there was one more thing I wanted to ask you as far as, uh, you know, diets and things that are popular that people are doing right now. And I've had a couple of friends that are doing this, uh, something called HCG for weight loss. And I, it it sounds uh, it doesn't sound great to me. I don't know. They're they're taking injections of stuff. Are you familiar with with this? I am, and it's really insanity. You know, um, let me just say that when you eat healthfully and you eat a lot of salad and vegetable bean soup and eggplant and mushrooms and artichokes and you eat all these healthy foods, you can lose weight very rapidly. You don't you don't need a magic sub a uh, fad or a gimmick or doing something unhealthfully to make you lose it faster. People are dropping 20 pounds a month the first month, 15 pounds the second month, 10 pounds the third month. You don't need to take hormones and, you know, and eat special drinks or anything. You eat the asparagus, the artichokes, the salads, the eggplant dishes, eat the healthy foods, and you're going to get the better results. But the point I'm making right now here is that people have to really understand that anything they do temporarily to lose weight is never going to be sustained and never going to result in permanent weight loss unless they do the same thing for the rest of their life. So whatever you lost with the HCG is never going to, it's always going to come back on you again when you stop the HCG, if even if the HCG worked. And we don't want to take a dangerous drug like the rest of your life. The whole thing is utterly ridiculous. We have to teach people how to eat to prevent cancer and which also causes weight loss. So they can now learn to love eating this way, learn the great recipes and get pleasure from it and stick with it forever. So we're always eating for health for the rest of our life, and that maintains our weight stable for the rest of our life. We're not yo-yoing up and down on various fads. We're always eating for health. Right. So you would tell people to avoid those kinds of things, definitely. I, I had never heard of this. I had a couple of friends that were trying this, and I had never heard of HCG for weight loss. But like you said, generally those kinds of things – are not going to keep it off. It's not a lifestyle change. And what you're trying to do is really get people to think differently, right, about their food. Yeah, absolutely. We want people to make a to learn about nutritional science. It should be reading, writing, arithmetic, and nutritional science taught in grade school, and radically change the way you eat to give you protection, to give you to enhance your pleasure in life, to keep your physical capacity, your mental capacity as you age, to have a better life and learn how to make the healthiest foods on the planet taste great so you can marry together good health with great taste and get the pleasure out of eating this way as well and one thing i'm so proud of is the fact that we've is the recipes we've developed the world class chefs 
from all over the world contributing to these recipes to show people that you can have incredibly delicious food that's super good for you too. Right. You don't have to deprive yourself of your favorite things or things that you like. I mean, well, maybe you have to deprive yourself of, you know, pizza and cupcakes and that kind of thing, but you can replace it with other things that are, are much better for you. And I was looking through these recipes and my, my husband's a really good cook. Uh, me, not so much. <laughs> I always say I'm the better guest, you know, at the dinner party, I'll, I'll bring something. But these look pretty easy to do. I'm excited to try some of these. I think these are going to be a lot of fun and really tasty. So we're going to take a short break here. We'll be back in just a couple of minutes to continue our conversation with Dr. Joel Furman about his new book and revolutionary program, Eat for Life. And if you did have a question and you wanted to join me in the second segment, just give me a call, 816-251-3555. I'm Diane Ray. Thanks for joining me today. We'll be right back. Practical spirituality. Positive messages. This is Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. Welcome back to Be Present, the Diane Ray Show. Welcome back. Thanks for joining me after the break. I'm Diane Ray talking with Dr. Joel Furman about his new book, Eat for Life. And if you're looking for a really comprehensive guide to help you live a healthier, longer life and to improve every area of your life emotionally as well as physically, definitely pick this up. This book is full of so much amazing information, all new research, everything up to date. And I was telling Dr. Furman in the break, I really enjoy the story of all of the success stories, all of the testimonials of people that have shared the way their lives have been changed in the book. And and I said to Dr. Furman, you know, I think people would think that some of this is fake, right? Because the, the stories are just so amazing, the way people have been able to improve their lives. And you say you've got a lot of these stories, right? Dr. Furman thinks you couldn't even put fit in the book. There's so many. I have more than 500 of these exciting success stories on drfirman.com. The ones I put in the book are so um, unbelievably powerful. But what we're saying here is that nutritional excellence doesn't just protect us. It also therapeutically is effective to reverse disease for people who are already sick. So the book has people with multiple sclerosis that made that recovered completely with lupus that got completely well, psoriasis, advanced heart disease on 11 medications and heart, you know, even in heart failure, came back to normal heart function with a normal ejection fraction again. I mean, it's just amazing. And even early stage cancers, like a man with ulcerative colitis and testicular cancer who reversed it completely using this program or a person who had cancer, Pam, who had ovarian cancer that was given just a few months to live that's now alive 18 years later, or another person in the book with Jack 2 thrombocytosis, which is a blood cancer that had it for 30 years, continuing to advance, and it went away after doing this program for a few years. So we're talking about the miraculous healing power of the body juxtaposing, of course, the scientific evidence, more than a thousand scientific references with the actual clinical experience of people who actually apply the program and seeing how effective this is to um, essentially save their lives. It really is incredible to read these. I really enjoyed those stories. And so let's talk about exactly, you know, what what we're eating and kind of break it down for people in this last segment that we have here, because you, you have 
the great recipes in the book for people to follow and a really comprehensive explanation of what we should be eating, the list of nutrient-dense foods that you call them in the book, you know, vegetables, legumes, beans, uh, fruits, and nuts. You had mentioned that earlier. I just, I was curious with nuts, though, you didn't mention peanuts. Is that not something that we should avoid? Well, peanuts, you have to totally avoid them, but they're mostly served roasted. And the roasting of the nut loses some of the proteins and beneficial nutrients. You can buy these more expensive jungle peanuts that taste good raw. But my, but I wanted to mention my acronym that helps people remember the grouping of the most powerful anti-cancer longevity-promoting foods. And the acronym is so important because it enables them to try to consume these foods on a daily basis that have the most power and the most powerful foods for extending lifespan and preventing cancer. And you could say for that matter, for preventing COVID because they improve immune function, are G-bombs. That's G-B-O-M-B-S, G-bombs, which stands for greens, beans, onions, mushrooms, berries, and seeds. So what I'm saying is each one of these foods studied individually shows miraculous ability to, to in, uh, aid in your health. Like example, one example would be a 10-year study on women who already had a diagnosis of breast cancer showed that those women who had some lignin in their diet from like flax seeds or chia seeds had a 71% decreased risk of death from breast cancer over that 10-year period compared to women who was in the lowest quintile of lignin consumption. And the highest quintile, the highest um, fifth of consumption was only like less than a half of a, uh, of a uh, milligram, you know, less than half of a three-tenths of a milligram of lignin a day. And you get like seven milligrams from a teaspoon of flax seeds. So even a half a teaspoon of flax seeds or chia seeds has tremendous uh, effect on immune function. And l look at mushrooms, for example. You know, the women who ate 10 grams of mushrooms a day, it's the size of your thumb. Just a small amount of mushrooms on the averaging on a daily basis had a 64% lower risk of developing breast cancer. What I'm saying right now is that each one of these food categories by itself has tremendous power to extend human lifespan. But we put together a dietary portfolio that in includes the full, every category of these superfoods together. And of course, that's the secret where the money's at and you get these magnificent benefits. I love that G-bomb. That's easy for people to rem remember, you know, when they're shopping and they're thinking of, hmm, well, you know, what should I be buying? And what was surprising was mushrooms to me. I was really surprised to read that information because, well, first you would think that it would be better to eat them raw and you say that you should eat them cooked. Uh, and I thought that was interesting. Um, the research that you had for that. And would could you, so say like if you really didn't love mushrooms, I mean, could you do, I know there there's dried mushrooms I've seen available as a supplement. Could you do that as well? Or Yes, or absolutely. Especially in today's climate, you should be, these are powerful things. You should be using more than even one type of mushroom in your cooking. And you can always use a very small amount until you start to develop a taste for things. You know, I'm always telling people that when you, that I've tested this out with a study on 760 people you know, in a, in a medical journal article in the word journal, nutrition journal published in 2010. Anyway, it showed that oh, it took months for people to learn to prefer eating this way, that the taste buds actually changed to like the foods they got used to eating. But the first few couple of months they ate it, they liked their old diet, the taste of their old diet better. But once six months passed by, they liked the taste of the new diet better than the old diet. 
So what I'm saying right now is, yeah, you don't like mushrooms at the start, but you know, I incredibly love mushroom soups, and we flavor things with making lots of cooked onion and cooked mushrooms and lots of garlic and roasted garlic in there, and you, and these things are taste fantastic. But it, you know, you, people like what they get used to eating because your taste buds acclimate to that kind of flavor and flavor. But in any case, I'd start with a smaller amount of mushrooms. I still recommend the dried mushroom supplement because it has powerful anti-cancer effects. You know, mushrooms have like unique properties. They're the most powerful anti-angiogenic food. And angiogenesis means the growth of new blood vessels that are generally used to fuel cancer growth or to fuel fat growth on the body. And mushrooms have anti-cancer and anti-fat growth effects. So as you eat more mushrooms, they resist the gaining of weight and they aid in your weight loss endeavors as they prevent cancer. And, and of course, our cells have a ergothenine receptor on them, which means that, and, and mushrooms supply the most ergothenone. What I'm saying right now is that our cell, our bodies are built to benefit from these nutrients contained in mushrooms. We're designed, in what I'm saying, of course, on this interview is that we're designed to be dependent on these plant-derived nutrients in greens and mushrooms and onions and such that our body utilizes for normalcy. And without achieving those nutrients, which our body's been designed to utilize, we can't be normal. And then disease develops. And then we're, we're at risk for developing, maybe even getting sick or even dying from a novel infection like COVID when our immune system isn't normal because we don't regularly eat scallions and onions and mushrooms and foods like that our body is dependent on. That's so interesting. I mean, I, I love mushrooms now. I mean, as a kid, I didn't. I, I hated everything. But but I've, you know, thankfully grown up since then. I mean, I, I think I think they're delicious. And you're saying that our bodies are really looking for those nutrients that that they provide. So we really should be adding this to our diets. Oh, yeah. And, you know, just to add one more element is almost everybody knows that higher excessive estrogen in the blood increases risk of breast cancer and prostate cancer in men. And obviously, when you're overweight, you produce more estrogen because fat cells activate aromatase because fat on the body is dangerous. Any extra fat on the body, but the more fat, you, the more over fat cells you have, the more inflammation and the more estrogen production. Well, mushrooms are natural um, aromatase inhibitors that stop the production of estrogens and block the breast tissue from being stimulated by estrogen. So, and, so we're talking here about the fact that mushroom, that these foods have the, you could say, scientific and medical answer, and there's no drugs that can offer you this degree of protection, what these foods offer you. So you can, and if the drug could do that, it would be costing you like $5,000 a month or something. And all it takes is a few $10 a month to buy more, to eat some mushrooms. So yes, there's tremendous power in the, the food and they have tremendous medicinal effects and our cells are dependent on them. And this is really the explanation of why some people are hurt by COVID so viciously and, and, and you know, and, and such so tragically and why other people hardly even get sick when they're exposed. And then a lot of this has to do with what we're talking about today and exposure to the full, you know, um, portfolio of foods and nutrients that humans require. Right, right. We're, we're just not healthy. And that's why, you know, so many people are, are suffering at this right. with COVID. Like you said, some people are experiencing it really severely and, and others are not. So, I, I mean, in the, the plan, you know, it's definitely a, a vegan based plan, a, a vegan diet. Although you do say people could add, you know, a little bit of, of protein 
at some point. What where do you stand on that? Well, I I don't see that's a fallacy to think that to call animal products protein because one thing we know for sure is that incre- as you increase animal protein in the diet, you shorten lifespan. But as you increase plant protein in the diet, you lengthen lifespan. So we want people to eat more plant protein and less animal protein. But there, but right. there are still foods or the plant foods have just as much protein as animal products do. Soybeans have more protein than, than hamburger does, and and um, Mediterranean pine nuts have more protein than um, you know than bacon and and scrambled than you know what I mean than, than pizza does. So we're talking here about not we're talking about getting more plant protein and less animal protein. And neither are we saying that the diet has to be 100% vegan to get to glean these benefits. But if you're not going to eat most, but 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 you still have to keep animal products restricted to be to their use as condiments, or in small amounts. If we're looking to glean the definitive heart disease reversal and prevention of cancer that we're talking about here, but and many people can keep animal products to reasonably amounts, but some people can't because when they have a little bit, that makes them want to have more, and they wind up eating too much, and they're just better off keeping those guidelines rigid. So they stay within the framework of what's best for their health, especially if they're sick. Other people, of course, who can still eat a nutritarian diet and they can still accommodate it with a small amount of animal products, not overdoing those foods and still achieve excellent health. So I think there's some leeway there. But one thing we all recognize that you still got to eat a large volume of the right foods and obviously only a small amount of animal products in the diet. Right. And you say 90 percent of calories should be coming from the unrefined, unprocessed, organic whole plants that, you know, that diet that you recommend in the book. Absolutely. And and keep keep the meat to a minimum. And the other surprising thing, you know, people seem to think, oh, well, I'm going to eat seafood. I'm going to eat fish. That's that's the better choice. And and you say some things like shellfish and sardines are, are not really good choices. You know, over the, over the last 20 or 30 years, I always thought they were good to add a little bit of sardines or, you know, or scallops or small fish because we we're avoiding the big fish like mackerel and tuna and shark because of the mercury contamination. But what happened was and how I had to change my mind about even a small amount of fish more. And even in my own life, I used to eat, you know, fish a little here and there. But now I'm eating it less or not at all because we're dumping billions, billions of tons of plastic in the ocean every single day. And now the studies and the data is showing that the breakdown of these plastics into microplastic particles are all over the ocean. And the little fish have eaten them and they, be, they become integrated into the tissues. And the average American now has a credit card amount of plastic material in their bodies. And it's not just the arsenic, but the PCBs and also the microplastic particles from eating seafood are also increasing risk of cancer. So I'm definitely more cautious with that today. If I'm going to have an animal product, I would prefer to have an egg white. Whereas years ago, I might have chosen an occasional piece of fish or a sardine. You know what I mean? So I think that um, yes, we are. We do have to be more cautious. There's no such thing as fish with no pollution because the smaller fish live closer to shore and get all those plastics and the larger fish that eat further away are, are predatory fish that are bigger and get, have more mercury and toxic metals in them. So we have to be careful because we use the ocean as a dumping grounds. Right, right. That's so true. I thought that was so interesting as I was reading that because I always thought, oh, well, fish or seafood is the healthier choice. And I like to eat a lot of salmon, which now I'm probably going to think think twice about that. And the other thing that came up was brown rice that has arsenic in it. I wasn't aware of that at all. I know. And, you know, I wasn't aware of it either, you know, 10 years ago. And I, what brought it to all of our attention was consumer reports 
about six years ago, they did a big analysis because the scientific studies started to show that the hull of rice, the part that we keep on the rice and we eat brown rice, that we remove and we make it into white rice, that that hull that makes the rice healthier is what is what sucks up arsenic from soils like a magnet. And so we didn't even know that brown rice has such a high arsenic concentration. We knew that it, you know, until Consumer Reports did this study back about six or seven years ago. And then they, and, and when the data they published showed that even the organic brown rices were high in arsenic because they were using chicken manure to fertilize the rice patties. So, the, so clearly quinoa and other grains are, don't suck up arsenic from soil as much. And also, they're they're healthier at this point. And so, I'm sure there are some rices that are grown on natural um, marshes and and um, how you should say um, picked by um, by peoples that are not commercially grown and they're very expensive or or select in, in rare in in some exotic areas of the world. You can get healthy rice, but now we have to recognize that most of the commercial rice available available rice available in supermarkets today probably should be avoided because arsenic. Um, high levels of arsenic is, is a newest thing, and it's ubiquitous in our population. Where lead used to be the main toxic killing people, now it's arsenic is the main toxic killing people. Right. That's so scary. I, I totally was not aware of that until I read this book. And you dispel so many myths and fallacies and give us so much great information with all the research that you share in this. So I really encourage people to pick this up because I've really been learning a lot. And the other thing that you mentioned, you know, you're talking about fats and saturated fats and foods. And, you know, I've been hearing over the past couple of years, you know, olive oil is this is the healthy choice. It's the way to go. And you're you're saying, you know, well, it, it is, but not not completely right. That We should yeah. really be staying away from a lot of those oils. I'm saying it's probably the biggest marketing scam that was so successful at convincing the world population that olive oil is a health food. And it's just not true. I mean, the, all the data shows that eating high-fat plant foods do extend lifespan, like walnuts and olives and avocado and sesame seeds and nuts are really superfoods. But is it walnut oil or is it the walnut? Is it the sesame seed or the sesame oil? Is it the olive oil or the olive? And the answer is whenever we um, compare the beneficial health effects of the whole food versus the oil extracted from that food, we find all the money, all the magic at preventing disease comes from eating the whole food, not the oil generated from that. It's just marketing. And people are like, just, they just believe anything they, want it, they would like to eat. And the bottom line is, is that oil is concentrated calories. And all oil is 120 calories a tablespoon. And when Americans are eating 400 to 600 calories of oil a day, they're not going to lose weight. And oil, when you take oil, it's absorbed very rapidly into the bloodstream and it turns up fat storage hormones and tells the body to gain weight. So when you're putting olive oil in your food, you're not getting off those last 10 or 20 pounds and you can't have good health and you're actually increasing the risk of breast cancer from eating so much olive oil because fat on the body increases the risk of cancer and our whole population is fat. If our whole population was anorexic and too thin and couldn't find enough food to eat and were starving due to being too thin, then the eating a little bit of oil might make sense, but it still might be the walnuts and the whole olives and the whole flat, the whole seed still might be a better source for gaining weight anyway. But nevertheless, what I'm saying is that we have such a big problem in this country where 88% of our population is overweight. That's a BMI above 23. Conventional authorities say a BMI above 25, they say 70% are overweight, but it's not that, it's 88% that's overweight. 
because we only see long-lived lifespans in people with a BMI below 23, not below 25. So what I'm saying right now is, yes, people they are not going to lose weight easily, and they're going to have a hard time getting successful health if they keep pouring oil over their food. Right. I mean, just reading that was such an eye-opener to me because I I fell into the category of you know being a marketing sucker, and I believed that I was doing the healthy choice by making that substitution and, you know, dumping olive oil all over everything. And I thought I'm, I'm doing this great thing for my heart and I'm feeling healthy. And that's not really the case. But it's interesting, too, in the book, you mentioned that uh, the Consumer Reports on Health, a 2011 poll showed that 90 percent of Americans believe that they eat a healthy diet. We're, we're thinking that we're doing the right thing, like with the olive oil. But then when you look around, it's obvious that we're not. You know, more people are, are overweight than ever. And it seems like people just kind of accept it or ignore it. And there's just this big disconnect that, that they're not they're not seeing it. Like people are thinking, oh, eating this processed food or the foods that are labeled low fat and low carb, and that's healthy. That's the way to go. And and your book really clears up some of those those fallacies. Yeah, I mean, you gotta have you can't have it both ways, you know. And that means you have your body fat has to be low. You have to be strong and physically fit. And you have to eat the right nutrients and eat the right foods. And you can't, you don't get, you don't, um, you can't buy good health and access to medical care and taking drugs and going to doctors is not going to get you good health. You have to earn it in the kitchen and it takes knowledge and skill and and the right information. And people have checked out because they think they can't lose weight because they're so brainwashed with the wrong information. But when they have the right information, this becomes easy. It becomes easy to lose weight. They could see the results happening, you know, within the first few weeks. And they so the right information really does work. Right. And you've said that you've seen people have been able to lose weight and make drastic changes just in, in the first 30 days that they can lose, you know, up to 20 pounds, you said. They lose a lot of water weight in the first month, too. So they do lose weight. I Believe it or not, I've even seen a person lose 20 pounds in the first week. You know what I mean? Because I, wow. um, <laughs> I run these um, health retreats to Whole Foods Market, and they send me the most overweight and sickly um, team members to be in the hotel with me for a week. And then there was some people that are, you know, have obesity and eat a lot of salt and fast food. And they just they start, you know, diuresing and losing water weight from all the salt and junk they were eating. And I, and I find that, too, when the people come to my retreat and they're very overweight, they don't just lose fat. They're also losing water. And what I'm saying right now is that the body holds on to a lot of excess water to dilute the acidity and the toxicity of their body. And when they start cleaning up their act and eating healthier and the body's dumping off a lot of toxins, they can drop a lot of the swollen water weight that they get there just because it's peed right out. And they might lose 25 pounds the first month or something. You know, so you're not losing that much fat, but you're losing water that needs to be lost. And then they'll, the weight loss will slow down. The second month, they'll only lose 15 pounds or something. Right, and losing a lot of toxins as well. So would you yeah. also subscribe to the idea of eating more alkaline uh, a diet as opposed to something that would be considered acidic? Yes, but people don't have to consider that because when you eat a lot of animal products, your body produces 100 times the acid compared to this small amount of acidity or base in the food. So the major acid dumping that causes your body to become acidic and not alkaline is because you're eating animal protein. The minute you switch to a plant-based diet, you don't have to secrete so much acid to digest it. And then with the, the food being alkaline isn't the, really the issue. It's your body not producing all the extra acid. 
So it's you don't have to stress the body's acid production mechanisms and the body stays naturally alkaline. And you don't eat much salt. Your body's not excreting all the salt in your urine and your sweat. So you go play tennis or go running or go sweating in the heat and you're not bottoming out your sodium levels because your sodium's staying in the body. You're sweating without putting out much sodium and then you're not losing excess minerals. That's going to cause the cramping either. So what I'm saying is when you do it this when you do it right, you automatically achieve the right mineral balance and also the right alkalinity of your body just because you're eating the right diet. You don't have to think about eating foods that are high alkaline, high alkaline foods or alkaline water or anything. You just have to eat right. Right. And as you say in the book, as, as you start doing this program and working with it, you automatically will stop craving the salt and the sugar and those foods. And, and you'll kind of naturally go towards really craving and wanting these foods instead. And you'll be able to push those aside the salt and the sugar. Absolutely. There's nothing like abstinence that makes the heart or makes the taste buds, you know, <laughs> grow in the right. right direction. You know, when you keep putting sugar in, you're always going to crave sugar. It's, and you keep putting salt and you're going to crave it and want it. And it takes a period of time of not having it to build up that taste muscle so that foods taste better. The natural amount in the food already is enough for you. Right, right. You shouldn't have to supplement it with, with anything else. I mean, it's been so great to talk with you over this past hour. I've learned so much from the book, and I'm really excited to get my husband on this plan and, and start making some changes. So I just wanted you to share in with, with the plan, could you just describe like the, the perfect day of eating? What, what would that look like for people? Well, I always say my mantra is make the salad the main dish at at least one meal a day and at lunch is the most important meal. So even though I might have some oats or quinoa with berries and almond milk or soy milk or with some kind of, you know, with um, some flax seeds or hemp seeds on top, I might have a little oat, you know, some grain in the morning with some berries and, and um, you know, and banana or something. But but my lunch is going to be a nice big salad with a with a, one of my healthy dressing recipes or healthy dressings, you know, made with nuts and seeds, maybe with roasted garlic and tomato and sun-dried tomatoes and some, you know, black fig vinegar or balsamic vinegar, you know, with some, so in other words, with some almonds or something. So I'm going to have a great salad dressing, maybe a bowl of vegetable bean soup with mushrooms in it and a piece of fruit or frozen fruit for dessert. And then dinner, of course, you know, which we're saying eat an earlier dinner, might be some raw vegetables with a nice dip or maybe a... Um, you know, a walked, you know, Hawaiian or Thai curry sauce wok with snow pea pods and water chestnuts and cabbage and mushrooms and onions. And whether a person, you know, chooses to do the vegan version or wants to put a little bit of, you know, um, some kind of tempeh in there or maybe or mix something for flavor in there, like a little bit of animal product. They still using that as a condiment to flavor this delicious Thai dish and maybe a, a nice dessert that's not that's made with our incredibly delicious dessert recipe of all types of desserts from ice creams to puddings to cakes to everything, but all made without sweetener. But we just put a little bit of date in there or a little bit of natural dried fruit to make it subtly sweet where you're having a small piece of marking at the ending of the day or just some or just some frozen fruit that you defrost, like a little frozen mango or something. That, you just that sounds so, so delicious. It's been so great to talk with you and check out Dr. Furman online, drfurman.com. Thanks for joining me. Thank you for listening to Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world.
Victoria Moran. Since we launched the Main Street Vegan podcast back in 2012, lots more people have discovered the way that moving in a vegan direction can infuse our lives with vitality, spirituality, and compassion. My guests are experts on every aspect of making this work in your real life and our real world. Join us for Main Street Vegan here on mindbodyspirit.fm.